and welcome to the Sexier Than a Squirrel podcast, where games-based training achieves real-life results. Get ready to uncover the strategies and secrets of using management and dog training to discover why it's a game changer in any dog training plan with very special pro dog trainer, Sam. So whether you're a seasoned dog owner or just starting your journey, grab a treat, find a comfy spot, and let's jump into management magic. Sam, thank you for joining us. Hi, thank you very much. It's, it's good to be here as always. So Sam, for those new to the concept, uh, dog owners are listening and maybe they've just, they've gotten their first dog. Um, can you define management for us? How excited has just got their first dog today. Um, yeah, let's define management. So management essentially is an aid to help you out, I guess, whilst you're trying to figure out the training side of things. So it can help you reduce the amount of rehearsal your dog does or the things that you don't want them to do. Um, so that in the meantime, you can try and help them out and try and um, guide them and train them toward what you do want. Um, it makes life a lot easier if you do a little bit of management. And at the end of the day, management is also training. So management is an aid to help you train and move forward, but it's also in itself is a training aid. Perfect. So could you provide some examples of how you have maybe implemented management with yourself or with your dogs or with clients' dogs? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, I think probably a really good example of this would be that um, one of my younger dog, I've got two dogs, two Jack Russell Terriers. My younger dog, um, Sirius, uh, she struggles with guests. So she struggles with guests when they come in the house. She wants to jump all over them with their faces. She also wants to bark at them. She's a little bit, little bit scared of them. Um, I would rather she didn't do that. And I'm sure that my guests would rather that she didn't do that as well. So we help her by when a guest comes in at the moment, she goes into a crate. It helps her manage, uh, well, it helps me manage her in terms of her jumping over the guests. It also helps her understand how to disengage from the guests and bring her brain away from the guests so that she can actually chill out and understand that those guests are none of her business. What I would like to get her to, that she doesn't have to be in a crate. So that would be the training side of it. So at the moment, the crate is management. The training side of it would be how about we have small little bursts outside of the crate where I play some games that help you understand that there's more value in coming away from those guests. Uh, and as a result, she's starting to learn that that's what we would rather have from her rather than the, the crazy Jack Russell that climbs on your head. <laughs> so for those, um, maybe their dog isn't quite ready for the crate either. You know, they're, they, they can't put them in the crate or maybe they are, they'll bark in the room. What advice would you give to make sure that they're kind of implementing their management uh, plan in the best way for that particular dog? Sure. Lots of options there. And it really is very um, dog individual. Yeah. So we have to look at the dog that we've got in front of us and try and figure out how we can best help them. And that, that might be a little bit of trial and error. Okay. So it's okay if you try something and you've tried it a few times and you're like, this is not working. Let's try something else. So um, other techniques that I've used in the past, um, sometimes with my own dogs and sometimes with, with students that I've taught, um, you can use the car. So the car is a great place. If your dog is comfortable in the car and the weather, it's a great place to go and put your dog whilst you've got guests. It completely takes the stress off you. Uh, and I actually utilized this at um, Christmas. Was it last year or the year before? Um, where I knew that it wasn't appropriate for my dog to be in that situation. It was going to be manic. There were going to be um, families, other dogs, obviously lots of family, lots of presents and novelty, lots of craziness as Christmas always is. Um, so rather than bring them out into that situation, I popped them in the car. And that really took not only the stress off my dogs, but the stress off me. Um, I didn't have to try and think about the mayhem of, of whatever might have happened in that situation. Um, another one that I have used is actually just popping a lead on them. 
So you're able to you're able to do a lot with your lead. And it might feel a bit strange to have a lead on your dog in the house. But again, you're just limiting their choices. So when a guest comes in in the house, your dog's got so many different choices to make and is ready to make the right choices, the choices that we would like to make them for various reasons, for the skills that they have yet to grow. Okay, it's like children. They've got to grow these social skills and understand how to use them. Sometimes we need to help guide them in the right way. And a lead can give you lots of um, adaptability within that situation. Um, So, for example, you can move yourself away, actually further away, where that would be harder if they're in the crate, you know. So you can choose the distance you are from your guests. Now, if you're further away, it might be a little bit easier for them to, like, not get so involved in that situation. Um, And it might be easier for them to disengage from your guests. Um, You can also have a play around with, you know, giving them a little bit of a longer lead so they can go a bit nearer. But then you can use some games to um, encourage them to come back your way. So they understand that the value is actually coming back towards you rather than going toward the guests. Um, What else have I used? The other thing that I've used is other rooms as well. So if your dog's not okay in the crate, are they they okay behind a gate? Are they, uh, you know, like a baby gate? Um, are they okay just being in another room? Maybe they've got a safe space. Maybe they, you know, they really like being on your nice big comfy bed. Um, you can put some music on so that they maybe can't hear the stuff that's downstairs. You might put talkative radio on so that it sounds a little bit the same as the talking that's going on downstairs. So there are loads and loads of options. And we've just got to do a bit of trial and error and see what works for our dog. Perfect. So, and now you've chatted a lot about management in terms of maybe visitors arriving. Um, how about out and about, you know, your dog is uh, maybe wanting to run off for something. What kind of management strategies would you advise for those types of situations? So out and about, um, I mean, in the first instance, I'm I'm always looking to see where do I think my dog is uh at what level do I think my dog is ready for a certain amount of responsibility? So when we take our lead off our dogs, they we give them an awful lot of responsibility. And it all comes down to those choices again, right? So they've got a multitude of choices that they could choose in that situation. They could stay with you. They could go and sniff. They could run off. They could go over to the person over there. They could go over to the dog over there. They could go wee up the tree. There's loads, loads and loads and loads of different choices. Um, and again, we want to try and help our dogs and guide them towards the, the the choices that we particularly would like them to make. Now, now, they might not know what that is yet, you know, so we kind of sometimes assume that dogs come with these ingrained things of being able to walk nicely on a lead or a leash. Um, and they understand that they shouldn't run away and come back when they're caught. We need to, like, grow these skills within them. So in the very first instance, a lead, you know, so let's pop our dogs on lead. I would also be thinking about where do I take my dogs? in that so am i a sniffy spaniel in the middle of the woods where there are a a ridiculous amount of critters um that our dogs want to go and sniff out all right so uh, for my jack russell the woods is absolutely the most difficult place for her to be in in terms of the degree of excitement that she gets out of that and how hard it is for her to be like i'd really like to be with my human but i really really want to go out and chase things because it's super exciting um for a collie Uh, be out on the moor and there are sheep you know that's a really difficult situation Um, and for me that's sort of like running before you can walk and so we've got to think well how do we scale that back how can we help them and set for success so that we can reward good choices right so maybe I take them to a a car park and maybe uh, I play some games in the car park where it's concrete there's not very many smells I've gone at a time of day when it's not very busy Um, I've gone 
with me so I can do little bursts of like um, really, really good stuff and then pop them away for a bit of a break and sit with them and chill out. Let that arousal come back down. Let them chill for a moment before I get them out. And all of these things, again, they're management. So we are controlling the situation. We're trying to control it to get the best possible outcome. Now, as we grow, we make that amount of responsibility that we give our dogs slightly bigger and we can grow it outwards and we can make it smaller again if we need to. It's very flexible. Um, and that's how we go from management into training into real life. So that's kind of how we bridge that gap. But to begin with, we have to look at what level of responsibility is my dog ready for? How do I scale that to help them be the most successful in that situation and operate from there? So, um, Sam, I think one of the most frequent questions that get asked gets asked in terms of management is, is management forever? So, first of all, I think if sometimes you use more than you thought you would, then there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. I still use my crate, even though we are in a pretty good place in terms of guest management. Sometimes I use it for own sake or if I want to advocate for my dog because I think that situation is maybe just too hard for today. Maybe my dog's got um, a full stress bucket that day. And so although normally she would be absolutely fine in that situation, maybe today I'm just going to give her a little bit of an extra helping hand because she's having a bad day like we all have. Okay. Um, it's also important to not get stuck in a rut. So I think that management can become very comfortable but we don't always grow in that area. So I think it's always important to look at how do we grow away from management with training so that we're trying to get to where we want to be. So we put management in place because our dogs weren't quite making the right decisions, the things that we wanted them to do, right? If we just stick with management, we're never going to get there, right? Because it's it's essentially, it's like repeating, um, I don't know, repeating a class over and over again. You're not going to learn anything new you're just going to learn the same thing over and over again. All right. So the only way that we grow is by adding new stimulus or adding more difficulty or um, just growing out from that management into the training side. So I think it's important that they hand in hand, but equal stress that if you feel like you need to add that management in for whatever reason, that might be for your stress bucket, for your dog's stress bucket, that might be to advocate for them in that moment. What's wrong with sometimes stepping back on what you have been doing and progressing just to take a break for a moment to then move forward again? Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. It does. Um, so Good. for those, you know, going back to the the example of a dog being managed in the event that someone is arriving, could we maybe talk through uh, what it would look like to add layers of responsibility there? And how would you gauge that your dog's ready? The very first thing I would do is establish some games. So we've got some uh, really cool games in um, in Games Club that would help us toward that. So one of my favorite ones, engagement pattern. Okay, I'm a big, big advocate of disengagement pattern to, to let the little what that might look like. Imagine that you... Um, you threw a treat in the direction, doesn't have to be close, but in the direction of a distraction. And this is a guest. So we've thrown a treat in the direction. Our dog's gone and got that treat. And we've got our lead on. So we're, you know, we've got our management aids there. We're just going to wait a moment to see what decision our dog makes in that moment. What we're hoping is that the dog turns back to us and has lots of treats and understands that there's value there. Now, before we kind of take that step with the guests there, maybe we want to teach our dogs that game first. So maybe we want to actually just have no distractions and we just simply throw a piece of food out toward nothing, no distraction whatsoever. And then when our dogs turn back toward us, 
we're just going to give them maybe two, three, four pieces of food. And we're literally saying you get one piece over there, you get four pieces here. Where would you rather be? All right. And so they start to establish that when they go out and get one piece, if they turn around, they're going to get loads more, which is a really cool place to be. They understand that that's a good deal. Then we can start thinking about adding those distractions in. All right. Now, again, guests, you might try that with guests and it's not working. So that for me says we've gone too hard, too fast. All right. So your dog's not ready for that responsibility. So then we've got to look, well, how do I scale that back? Because I don't want to just keep playing the game with no distractions because that's not necessarily growing. I'm just stuck in that same lesson over and over again. So how I would think of that is what very low level distractions that your dog might want to look at. If I have a lead and I threw a glove over in the side near the door or something like that, my dog probably would want to go and sniff that and be like, over the day. now if I've got them on a lead, I can actually just play that game from the glove. So I could throw a piece of food in the direction of the glove. My dog's going to go and get that piece of food and they might take more. But then what I would hope is that they would turn back toward me and they'd get lots of food for that. So although it's seemingly the glove and surely that's really easy for our dogs to come away from and disengage from. Yes, but we've taken a step further than when we were playing it with no distractions. And so we can start looking for all of these inanimate things, these objects around us, these opportunities for disengagement that happen all the time, we can use those tiny moments to grow towards the heavy hitters, which would be the guests or or um, the people in the park or the dog or, you know, the all the distractions in the world. Um, and that's how I would bridge that gap. So you've just got to think baby steps rather than I've played the game. Now I go straight to the to the really difficult stuff. Because if your dog can't dis- to, uh, disengage from a glove, how can they disengage from a guest, right? Right, exactly. And maybe you wouldn't go to the guest, you'd go to a friend your dog's familiar with first. Yeah, that's a great that's a great way of doing it. You could try and figure out in that gap again. If normally your guest would sit downstairs on the sofa in a particular place, well, let's start playing that game in that room before we even add any guests in it. So now we're establishing a particular kind of game and a pattern within the specific area that this this stimulus is going to happen in the first place. So we can start to just bridge that gap a little bit. So Sam, in terms of management, we've covered a lot. Um, We've covered quite a bit in terms of considerations. Um, Someone, if someone was, they're looking at a behavior struggle that they have, whether it's jumping on guests, whether it's, um, uh, you know, whether it is maybe their dog runs the fence in the garden and barks at the fence, you know, those kind of things. Um, If they were looking to come up with some kind of management plan to so that they can prepare their dog for the situation versus training in the situation. What are some considerations they can uh, put into play in their management plan? So interestingly, I actually had this recently. So I moved house um, quite recently, sort of May-ish. Uh, and we have, uh, where I live, the fences were uh, sort of that chain link fence. So where it's, you can see right through it, basically. That it's not a solid fence. Um, right. And next door, I have some kids that bounce on a trampoline. Um and then behind that at the back, there's also a big patch of grass. And then there's another garden. It's got another chain link fence. It's got a very large dog that barks um, through the fence as well. So it didn't take long before my youngest one, Siri, um, before she started bolting out of that door to go and bark at whatever she thought might be out there. And sometimes nothing would be out there. She'd just gotten into this habit of she thought that that stuff was out there. So she was going to bark at it. So um, I very quickly management um, techniques in place. And then I had to come up with some sort of training plan to try and help her through this. Um, 
very very first thing I started doing was popping her on lead to take her out to toilet so I didn't let her outside unsupervised um and I would always either put a harness or I would have her on lead and I would be holding it and I'd go out there now and that usually depended on whether I knew there was something out there or whether she uh whether like the kids weren't there quiet so the the two differences there are if the kids were there or the dog was there I would hold the lead because I knew she, she needed more help I didn't want her to run the fence but I could go out there and use that opportunity and see where I was at so I would sort of be like well right, let's try it let's take some high value treats rather than low value treats and see uh, how she does with me playing some of these games that we've practiced and if she really struggles what I would then do maybe is come um, I would try and take the visual away so I would come into the where our kitchen it comes out and then there's like a a wall before you get to the fence so she can hear them but she can't see them so let's play without the visual so I've taken away one of her senses to try and help her through that a little bit more um and if it was really not working I would bring her back inside and I would shut the door and then I would still play the same games but with she can't see them she can't hear them anymore can she can she actually just bring her brain away from it even though she knows that they're out there, but she can't hear them or see them. You know, where's her brain at? Is she still thinking of them, even when she's come inside and she's, in, you know, seemingly in her safe place in her home? Um, is she still sort of freaking out about that? Do I need to help her through that? So those are the sort of things that I'm looking at with her um, and seeing where she's at, and what, how I think she's ready to move forward or not. Um, it would be a lot of going out there and playing games with her when I knew they weren't that English. Um, her understanding of being out there, being with me, just chilling out there as well. So I would sometimes take her outside uh, in the garden, again, on lead or a training lead, and I'd give her something like really calming out there. So I'd maybe give her a stuffed Kong or I'd do a scatter feed. And that's for her to go outside and do something that's not exciting and is not bringing that arousal right up. Her just going out there and just mooching. And in that she can do that because at the moment she doesn't understand that she can do that. She thinks that what she needs to do is go out there and and be a lunatic and do zoomies around the garden, barking her head off. So it's trying to help her understand what options there are. There are other choices to the choices that you are making right now. And then I'm trying to prevent her from making the choices I don't want her to make. Um, what I'm then looking at in her is her body language and her transition through the door as well. So. I was looking at trying to calm her going through our back door because, again, she'd started to predict the events that were happening. And as a result, even me just opening the door, putting my hand on the handle, she's starting to like twirl around um, and jump up at me and, and sort of you could see that the energy had burst upwards. So about if I jumped on the handle and then we come away and we do something calming. So she thinks that's that's going to happen, but it's not going to happen. You see there's quite a lot of layers of management and training all mixed into one and a lot of kind of um, trial and error and assessment to see where I think she's at to figure out whether I can push her to the next stage um, and essentially if I'm really honest what I often do is I will give it a go but mind I will have a what do I need to do if it goes wrong plan and I will have a what do I do if it's going really really well plan how can I push this a little bit more um, and then I will always kind of try and figure out okay where am I at right now what is happening in this moment um, do I need to scale it back do I need to keep it the same and just end on a on a good day or, or do I think that this has happened well enough to be pushing forward a little bit so has this um, the good day has it been happening quite often 
is this becoming the norm? Maybe it's time to push on a little bit more. I really love that, Sam. Anyone listening, they're going to find a lot of value in that breakdown um, in terms of how they can implement management into their dog training plans. Um, So essentially, management is kind of you start off, your dog has one choice. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) this is the choice and the only choice. (laughs) And uh, you gradually are just giving them choices by using, you know, leash or confinement space or um, a harness or, or, you know, crate, car, um, whatever you have at your disposal. Is that a fairly good summary on that one? Yeah, I think the way that I sometimes look at it, right, is um, if you had kids, okay, and you had, let's say, teenagers that were going through that, um, I don't actually have children, but this is what I imagine. It's like. If you've got kids and they're left alone at home by themselves, and you know that they're at rescue now, but you're sort of like, well, I really don't want them to burn the house down. <laughs> So um, the keys to the house and go away for, um, you know, a week. Maybe I'll just try one night. All right. So you're going to give them a little bit of responsibility and see what they do. with it. And if they make the right choices, that's cool. Let's do a whole weekend this time. Let's give them a little bit more responsibility because they may. If they're not making the right choices, we're maybe going to have to scale that back. Um, and maybe we take their PlayStation away from them for a little while. Um, you know, maybe we have a discussion on appropriate responses. And <laughs> and that's where the, the education comes in. That's where we bring our training in to try and help them understand that there's better choices there. Um, and that we'd rather you make those choices than the choices you have been making. Please don't burn the house down. That's not that's not helpful. <laughs> maybe hide the remote so they can't find it for the TV. So they actually focus on <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But that is essentially what we're doing with us. We're sort of going, you know, you're not making the best choices right now. um, And that's okay, because you may be skilled. You maybe you don't understand what that those choices are even there. So what I do is just actually help you and show you that those choices are there. Um, And so I'm going to give you this of responsibility to see what choices you make. And then we're going to gauge it from there. And that's essentially dog training. You know, we're sort of seeing where they're at, seeing whether we need to progress it or take it backwards. It's, it's always very fluid, I feel. You know, it's never kind of a fixed. Now we're at step five. Now we can progress to step six. It's not really linear like that. I think it's very, um, you have to be very adaptable to what's happening in that moment um, and really kind of have those fail safes in your head and know when it is okay to you give it a try. Like it's all right if it goes wrong. You know, as long as you learn, you can't assess it and and you're kind of tracking it to some extent. So, you know, you're having good days or bad days. Okay, we all have bad days. Or you consistently getting bad days. Well, then maybe we need to adjust our training plan. Perfect, Sam. So this has been really insightful. Um, for those of you that are listening, um, I, I hope you've also found this to be really valuable. And just please share it with the fellow dog lovers and trainers. Thank you, Sam, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. I, I like to ramble. It's good. <laughs> yes. All right, you guys. So that is um, an episode on management magic. Uh, so thank you for tuning in to the Sexier Than a Squirrel podcast, where we believe in achieving real life results one game at a time. Until next time, keep playing, keep training, and embrace the magic of management in your dog training journey.